thank you for the warm welcome and for the opportunity to, to bring God's Word this morning, uh, a challenge from really the greatest missionary book I know of in the Scriptures. Of course, the Gospels are missions-oriented, but the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, how God used uh, the Apostles to plant churches all throughout uh, the world of that time, really, uh, Asia Minor, through Turkey, uh, from Jerusalem and, and west. The, the text has already been read. I uh, appreciate that earlier on. Uh, but let me just read again uh, Acts chapter 22, just the first few verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. In Jesus' name, brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are all today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, through your word, show us what it is to have zeal for the Savior. But also, Lord, would you show us what it is that our human heart that can be deceitful and is deceitful above all things, how we can have a misplaced zeal. Help us to come under your word and your spirit this morning and make sure we are zealous for the Savior. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the word that you have for us this morning. Give us understanding and insight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We rely upon our GPS, our Google Maps, and our Apple Maps a lot as we travel. Just very recently... I trusted it when I shouldn't have, maybe. You've heard stories. This, is, this, this turns out pretty well. But as we were heading to a, a lunch meeting, we were going full speed ahead to the wrong place. And as just about we ar- went to arrive at the church rather than a, a Mexican restaurant, my wife said, I think we're heading to the church. Well, we were already late and ended up having to double back and send messages. We are so sorry. We are going to be later than we were. Uh, Fortunately, we're grateful for Mexican restaurants because our guests were provided with all the nacho chips they could eat as they were waiting for us. So God works out that too. But, you know, we were zealous. I thought, this is good. We are going to be there in 16 minutes. We were actually about 8 or 10 minutes of that going in the wrong direction. We can be zealous for things in life and be totally wrong. And is, does it do any good? The, the causes people live for, and everyone's living for something, everyone's living for some hope or to make a difference or the day that they take their last breath that they've maybe made a mark on the world somehow they, that their life could count for something. But if we don't know the way, the truth, and the life, which Jesus says he is, it's all for naught, isn't it? That's what this text is about. Paul, he was zealous for the Savior, but at first he wasn't. And if you're following along on the outline, you'll see that. When you you know the truth, you will proclaim it with zeal. But be sure your truth is God's truth, or else it's all for naught. I believe our text shows us, from Paul's testimony, it shows us how God gets a hold of a life and changes it for an eternal value. And we all want our lives to matter for eternity, don't we? And so this is a text really about how to let Jesus be the center of our lives. And when we know the truth, we will proclaim it at zeal, with zeal. As we look at the three points this morning, let's notice that by nature, 
you and I, we are zealous for our own plans. Paul had big plans. They were wrong. Verses 1 through 5 shows us that. He was zealous for God, just as you are all today. I've underlined those words in my Bible because he was zealous for God, just as you are all today. Well, his audience was zealous for God, that's for sure, but not for the right reasons. They were upholding the law, laws that had, most of them came into being between the Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, those 400 silent years. Uh, the Sadducees, Pharisees, they all came up during that time. And they have laws and laws and laws. Of how do you know when you're doing God's will? How do you know if you're good enough? That's what they were doing. They were zealous for those things. Paul, as he heard about this Christian group called this, the Way, you'll, you'll see that there. Uh, they're called the Way, verse 4. I persecuted this Way, capital W. Maybe you remember the Bible version years ago that was called the Way. It's a great name, the Christian church, the Way. But he was persecuting that Way, capital W, because he thought they were wrong. By God's grace... Paul, that God got his attention. By nature, we are after our own plans. We are zealous for our own plans. And Paul's defense is meant to proclaim the truth about Jesus, to show these folks and to show us today that there's a wrong way to go. We must be aware of prideful plans. Number one, that's really what we have, our human nature. We're sinful and unclean. It was read in Jeremiah chapter 17. That the heart is deceitful above all things. We, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean, that we have sinned against thee, against God, by, in thought, word, and deed. Our prideful plans. Paul was actually doing those prideful plans in God's name. And as you, you think of your human nature, I, I'm reminded of a story when we were building our home, our, our septic system failed, not because of our family, but because of the way it was put in. And when septic systems fail, they, they require to dig everything up and, you know, it's not a pretty sight. And I was with one of the workers in the backyard. I said, thank you for being here. This is a really nasty job. And his comment still rings through my mind. He says, yeah, it's a nasty job. And I even went to church on Sunday. So, you, you know, I don't know how serious he was. But human nature is, you know, I go to church on Sunday, and I'm going to have a good week. It's kind of like, uh, put a, go to church on Sunday, stick the bulletin in your pocket for good luck for the week, like I was here. It's kind of like that rabbit's foot. That would be zealous for God in the wrong way. <laughs> and, but our human nature is to think there's something we can do to have it good in life. That maybe if I put $10 in the offering plate, God will multiply it this week and I'll have 100 next week. That is not zealous for the things of God. God's provided, promised to provide for our needs above and beyond, not because of what we do and some plan we have. God knows our prideful plans. God knew that Paul was zealous for the wrong reasons. And that really reveals our own heart, doesn't it? It reveals my heart. I need to check it. I need a message each week. I need to be in God's Word daily to know what my own heart is because my own heart is deceitful above all things. I can have prideful plans. Secondly, I can, I can have a misdirected zeal as Paul did here. That word zealous and working against the way which were the Christians. Verse 5, he was heading to Damascus. You talk about having a plan here. I'm going to fight against this way I'm going to go so far as far north as I possibly can 
to show that I'm really serious about this. I'm not just going to take care of the, the ones following the way in Jerusalem, but I'm doing this for God. I'm going to go as far away as I can. That's a work, isn't it? He was doing a work here. And that is part of his testimony here. I was persecuting this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. He was going the wrong way. And by nature, you and I are going the wrong way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. We need to see that our sin is so great that we need a great Savior. There's a problem, too. By nature, we think, well, our sin isn't so great. My sin isn't worse than my neighbor's. There's another. Your heart is deceitful of all things. My heart is deceitful. I, I think my sin's not as bad as that person's sin. God says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that there's a way to come to forgiveness, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're, we're on our own plans by nature. And so as we think of ministry in our congregations and on the mission field, this is the culture we're in. Wherever we are, we're working with people. People need Jesus. They need the law of God's word to show us we're sinners and then the sweet gospel to show that there is a Savior that has paid for that sin and his name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. So Paul, by nature, was zealous for his own work. Secondly, uh, on our outline, supernaturally though, God intervenes to reach your heart. None of us would care a bit about our heart and spiritual matters unless God did that work. And we understand through the Word that it's always through the Word. Do you know Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word, right? It's the Word of God that has to be a part of this. And it's very interesting because supernaturally, and we believe God works supernaturally through the Holy Spirit to to bring light to us from the Scriptures. He shows us the truth of the Scriptures. We can't, by our own reason or strength, believe on Jesus Christ our Lord or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the Gospel. That's the explanation to the the second article of of our creed. And as we think of that, we see God's Word is absolutely necessary. And God will seek out the ones who are going astray. Now, people can fight against that, but think of Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells the parables of the lost sheep. There was one missing, and he went after the one. Uh, The prodigal son, there was the one missing, or in that case, both brothers had issues. God went after them. And the missing coin there in Luke chapter 15. There's a missing coin to illustrate the value of what God places on one soul. God goes after him, and God supernaturally intervened to reach the apostle Paul. We don't even call him Saul anymore. That was his name, but he didn't want to go by Saul anymore. He became known as Paul from that point on. For God got a hold of his heart, and I love verse 6 where this part of the outline continues. It just begins with that wonderful word in Scripture, but. I was doing this. I had a misplaced zeal, Paul says, but. It happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, and a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven. I fell to the ground and heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was saved by the word of God, by the word from Jesus himself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, some translations say. That really fits well with this. Paul was saved by the word and by the word of Christ. Why are you persecuting me? 
He was met supernaturally. Uh, we can say it this way on the outline. God gets your attention. God gets your attention. That may happen in a, a church service as a child. Maybe you grew up like I did. I heard the word over and over again through a child evangelism fellowship group. That's where God really got his word into my heart. I understood that I was a sinner even as a five-year-old and that I needed a savior. God gets our attention. Paul was, in a very literal way, caught in his sin. He was going off to persecute the church, and he saw this bright light and heard this voice. Jesus met him on that road to Damascus. And he was caught. What are you doing? And he's persecuting the church. I mean, caught red-handed, going off to, to bind these Christians and bring them and punish them. God got Saul's attention. He very literally saw the light. I mean, how many songs and hymns have this phrase in it? You know, I saw the light, I saw the light, no more wandering, no more night. He saw the light. Let me ask you, what, is, what has God used to get your attention? What's been your crisis? You know, this was a terrifying moment for Saul. And sometimes God speaks loudest in our, our terrifying moments, our times of fear. I pray people, I pray we've all grown closer to the Lord through, through the pandemic. We, we should all be thinking, okay, maybe, maybe this will take me. Lord, can I serve you? Is there ways? Maybe you had close calls with automobile accidents. I've heard people coming to Christ that way. I've heard people coming to Christ at the loss of a job. or Sometimes the birth of a child makes a parent think, oh, I better take this responsibility of being a parent and my spiritual responsibility serious. God really used the time in my life when I was seeking, what, what, Lord, what are you leading me into? Where can I go to school? I went off to a, a Christian school, but then I realized, oh, I don't, I don't know about enough about the Bible. I need to go to our Bible school, our Bible college. I, I, I need to just study the Bible for a bit. I, I, this is not, I don't know enough. I, I don't know God's truth when all these voices around you. What does God use to get your attention? Is it a crisis? Have you been to that crisis point in your life? And have you come out knowing Jesus? I'd love to hear about that testimony. That should be part of your testimony of how God saved you. What did he use in your life? And if you haven't been at that point, you're being exposed to God's word today. When, when the pastor, who happens to be me today, up front says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There, there's the gospel invitation to trust in Jesus and be forgiven of your sin. That, that is a point that people need to be brought to, that I need the Savior. It's God's work. He gets our attention. Number two, then God introduces you to Jesus. Paul did that very clearly here. Uh, Jesus himself met Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, let me tell you right now, don't expect a bright light. Uh, this is a, I, I believe this is a descriptive of what happened. It's not prescriptive of everybody has to see a bright light and fall on the ground and be blinded or else you can't be saved. No, we know that's not prescribing that for us, but this was amazing. And yet, when you think about it, anytime God gets a hold of a heart that you care about your spiritual condition, that is an absolute miracle. I meet people all the time that don't give a second thought. Well, it doesn't matter. We all die. But what about eternity? God introduces you to Jesus. It's in his timeline. I don't, I, I'm probably raising a lot of questions. I don't know why God 
in his divine wisdom and sovereignty, chose to rescue Saul and why he doesn't get a hold of every evil dictator on the planet for all history. I don't understand that. But God knows what he's doing. And he, he's left us, we're, we're his hands and his feet to bring the gospel to people. And we pray for our leaders that they come to know the truth. It's the truth that sets free, isn't it? It's on God's timeline. It's not a scientifically repeatable experiment <laughs> that, that we can try and, and look for this light. It's the work of God. It's always by the word of God. So I know God will bless this congregation because I hear the word of God over and over again and I see it and you guys are sharing the word of God. And when you're reading God's word in your homes, that's where God is going to really grow your faith too. And then you share what you learn with others and faith comes by hearing and that hearing by the word of God. He gets our attention and he introduces us to Jesus. It's, it's interesting because as I think of even our congregation and where we are, I, I believe I first met Jesus in baptism. God, my parents brought me to the waters of baptism as an infant. But my faith didn't stay there. The work that God began in my heart, and as we believe God gives the gift of faith in baptism, that, that has to grow or else it's dead. We can't be just trusting in a, in a baptism that we don't care about Jesus today and his word has no place in our lives. Scripture speaks about that. We believe firmly that there, there's not an eternal security that way. Our eternal security is right here. God's sustaining word in our life and growing day by day is my eternal security. And I praise God for his word. And that's why we are so dependent on the word of God. And I appreciate what you're doing in your congregation here. Our AFLC has been blessed with this understanding. It, it's wonderful to bring our children and grandchildren to the waters of baptism but not to leave them there, to teach them God's word and to pray that someday that that work that God begins in even our children becomes a conscious faith someday and a living faith. Look at Paul here, Saul, Paul, when he was saved, he hadn't been baptized. So that was kind of first on the docket, wasn't it? Rise and go and be baptized. You will see that here in verse 16. Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. We see that's baptism as the washing of regeneration there. And as an adult, yeah, adults need to be baptized. It's, it's God's word. But as we see this, uh, infants must have this conscious faith as we grow. And that's my story. I, at five years old, that, that faith became conscious for me. I knew I was a sinner. I needed Jesus. Just as today, I know I'm a sinner and I still need to be living in daily repentance and faith. It's a living relationship. Paul understood this well. God's work in his life did not just end. And, and we can illustrate that too as we think of how Paul is not just coming to faith and then we see no other action. Because verse 10, Paul says, I asked what shall I do, Lord? And, and the Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. Now, what if Paul, having been saved at this point, we agree that, what if he said, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I'm going to just go, they won't. My sin is so great. What if he had said, my sin is so great, God, you can't possibly forgive me. But where's, where's faith in that? There's no faith. But Paul 
I don't think we fully grasp this with Paul. That what would that feel like to have been persecuting the church, to be there at the stoning of Stephen, and then realize God's grace and his forgiveness is so great that he will even forgive that. I mean, that is a miracle. It's like he had an understanding immediately that God is forgiving me. If you ever struggle with assurance of salvation, just go to the Word of God. He that hath the Son has life. End of story. That's all you need. Right there. If you have Jesus, you have life. Paul didn't doubt that Jesus' blood was powerful enough to forgive his sin. He believed it. And I, I meet many people, especially when I was serving a congregation, many of my hospital visits. Pastor, can you just remind me again how, how I can be sure I'm saved? How can I be sure? Well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Well, he is my Savior. Have you confessed your sin? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's nothing we do. It's all on Jesus. He has forgiven us. Those are precious promises. And the Apostle Paul, I I think the key to his zeal for the Savior and why he was so, so greatly used by God is he never forgot what he was before Jesus. He never forgot that. He didn't dwell on it. You don't you see him in these testimonies, but but you don't see Paul saying, I'm so terrible, and I don't think I don't know how God could forgive me. And and yet that's our human nature. We'll get there sometimes. We we struggle with sins of the past that we don't know if God has really forgiven it. On the basis of God's word, we've confessed that sin. He's faithful. It is forgiven. I want to encourage you with that today. That when you think of ministry, don't don't let Satan fool you into thinking, who are you the one to speak after what you've done? Paul understood it by God's grace that forgiven is forgiven. His sin was buried in the depths of the sea. Oh, it's it's wonderful to know that God does that work and God can do that work today. He, He awaited for Paul's response and Paul acted and he went then to Damascus, met Ananias, received his sight back. He didn't delay that obedience. He went. So God awaits your response. That's that next point there. And Paul modeled that for us. Without, the, without a faith response, though, there's no salvation. If we just hear about the Savior and think that's good for somebody else. No, we need to be there. We need to, we need to trust in that and say, yes, Jesus has forgiven me. I think of this on the mission field. You know, sometimes we, we think in this day of technology, can't we just, won't missions be cheaper to do from home? You know, why not, you know, Matthew and Edna, uh, um, Mafu, they, they could watch the service. They could watch your service every Sunday and just be happy. And they could invite other people to maybe, but they are there. And even the way I'm explaining this doesn't really work because Matthew and Edna, they are in Paraguay. And when there's a crisis situation in Paraguay, when people in Paraguay are, are looking for meaning in life and their marriages are a, a mess uh, in the culture there and the family lives are just, they're just messy everywhere. That's why we need missionaries there. So that when these people come to these crisis points, that Mofu and Edna are there to point them to Jesus, point them to the scriptures. Being a missionary is being there living among the people. It's being there, sharing God's word with them because there's no other gospel witness. Well, 
there are, but there, there's churches teaching false doctrines. And that was in the scripture reading this morning too. Be aware of the false doctrines. Be in the word. The Berean Christians of Acts always checked and verified what the apostles were telling them to make sure it was true. You should do that with everything you hear me say. Did, did, does that really say that? And, and I know, Pastor Wilfer, you do this. You encourage people to be in their Bibles and to, to check what's... He says something from the pulpit. Oh, oh, yeah, there it is. Yep, it's in my Bible. He's right. And if we come with something far out, <laughs> beware. Or if there's a great new program or a great new book that you need this to be saved, beware. But our missionaries are there to point people to the Word of God. Bring the message of Jesus to the people in their own language. And I know you folks have heard about Matthew and, and Edni and the Guadani language and the, the Jesus Film Project that's, that's uh, being effective there and they're looking for ways to use that. Why? So that people can hear the message of Jesus from the Word of God in their own language. So when faith is real, then there's fruit that starts to, to show. And we see that in Paul's life, don't we? Oh, he, he changed dramatically. So supernaturally, God intervenes. And then number three, immediately, God gives you a ministry. When does your testimony matter? <laughs> immediately, as soon as you know Jesus. I've been through a lot of evangelism courses, and they always say, find somebody to tell what's happened today. If you've met Jesus today, is there somebody, is there a trusted Christian friend you could call and say, would you pray for me because I'm trusting in Jesus? I, I know I'm saved. Immediately you have that ministry. Immediately Paul was zealous for good works for the right reason. Good works after you're saved, not good works before you're saved. Good works before you're saved are always misplaced and it's going to lead to discouragement. But when God does a work in your heart and you love Jesus first and foremost and what you're doing is not for the praise of men, then God is glorified. And immediately God gives this ministry. We see this in verse 17. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and I saw him saying, Go, make haste, get out of Jerusalem. They won't accept your testimony. And then as you look down a little further, verse 22, um, away, um, nope, not that far down. Uh, verse 19, they understood in the synagogue after another that I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. The understood part is here, and now it's different because I'm, I'm not going to persecute them. But verse 21, Jesus says, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. There's his new ministry. It was to the Gentiles. And everyone who comes to know Jesus immediately has a ministry. You have a circle of friends, family, neighbors that no one else has. Your circle of influence is not identical to anyone else's circle of influence. And the people that need to hear about Jesus from you perhaps will only hear it from you. Paul traveled a lot and he planted those churches. Uh, there's the model why joy is here. It's why, why we're here. Your congregation, you, you are a miracle. When I come into a town I've never been to before, like Fountain Hills, Actually, as we were flying over, we, the flight path has to be somewhere right over here because some of these mountains I could see from the air. And I was thinking, wow, there, there's a church down there. I haven't had anything to do with it. I didn't plant it, but God, you did it somehow. And you have brought people together. You're a miracle. 
that you care about spiritual things and that you're together under the God's word. Anytime a church crops up on the mission field, <laughs> that God works in that way and brings people together and they're saved, it's a miracle. And no less of a miracle right here in Fountain Hills. I praise God for you. And, and, and don't forget that. Don't forget that, you know, without God's work, we wouldn't be here. Without the gospel, we wouldn't, wouldn't be together as a body of believers. So these are just three practical steps at the end. Number one, testify about the work of God in your life. If you forget, just read through chapter 22 again. It's Paul's testimony. This is who I was, what I was doing, but God, but God, but God intervened and stopped me, praise God. Whatever you were in life, wherever you were headed down the wrong path, tell people how, how Jesus got a hold of your heart. That's, that's your testimony. Testify about the work of God in your life. First Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence. We don't boastfully say, I'm the greatest because of what God's done in my life. We do it with gentleness and respect because we have a great Savior. The great Savior has done a great work in my life. And He wants to change your life too. He wants to give you the assurance that your sin's forgiven. He wants to give you hope. I love that. The hope that is within you. Do you have that hope today? Is there a hope within you? And then would you be willing to just tell somebody about the hope you have? That's your ministry. Tell people about the hope. It's Jesus. Invite them to church. Testify about it. Secondly, practical point here. Talk to God about what to do. <laughs> Pray. That, that's what that means. In verse 17, this is what Paul's doing. He says, I was praying in the temple, verse 17, saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do? We come before the Lord in prayer. Pray about what to do. And then the third practical point, be faithful in opposition. In this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. John 16, 3. Don't think it's strange that something is happening to you. They persecuted Jesus first. They persecuted the prophets first. There will be people that disagree with our message about Jesus. And then we may have another crisis point to say, do I really believe what Jesus told me here? Do I really believe he is the way, the truth, the life? I was a part of a funeral uh, about a year ago, two years ago now, I guess, I had provided the information in the front of the bulletin, or the, on the front, not the front cover, but inside. The family asked, what, what verse should we use? I said, this was kind of an agnostic family. And I said, John 14, 6 is a wonderful one for, for, for funerals. Oh, okay, okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if I can get this family to use that scripture verse, that will be wonderful. Well, they used the scripture verse already, but for sure, but they kind of changed it. And I was like, oh no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. That's all that was there. Fortunately, the other pastor that was a part of the service with me says, I want to just keep reading the rest of that verse. And he read the whole thing, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see how important that is? 
If it's good enough for you just to stop at, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that's your faith, but that's not mine. No, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do we really believe that? Did Paul, did Paul believe that? <laughs> Absolutely. There's no other way to be saved than through Jesus. And that's what your congregation is about. That's what AFLC World Missions is about. That's our AFLC influence. We have such a wonderful heritage. And I'm so grateful today to get to meet you folks. We will be praying for you. I will be telling our people in India, our folks in India, that there is another place where it gets hot. It's called Fountain Hills. And you're not the only ones, you know, living in the heat of India. It's in the United States too. But there's a group of people that love Jesus. And, and I know you folks will be praying for us too, and I ask you to do that as we will go to India just a week from Wednesday. Conclusion, could you be accused of being zealous for the Savior? Paul was accused of that, but he was wrong at first. But truly for the Savior, could you be accused of being zealous for the Savior? I, I pray that God would continue to use you, and uh, I thank you for this fellowship time together. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we've had a wonderful time of fellowship in your word this morning. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. We give you the praise and the glory for your work in and through his life. We understand that as remarkable as a life he had, he still considered himself to be the least of the apostles. What a humble response. What a godly response. And Lord, we come to you as humble servants today too and pray that you would lead and guide us. We pray that you'd give the congregation, our congregation and our families wisdom as we seek to introduce you to other people. We thank you for the joy of knowing you as Savior, and we pray that many more would come to know you through our witness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.